Before we get into this week's episode, I wanted to remind you that my short story is available for free at johntilton.com. If you sign up for my newsletter, I'll send you both the ebook and audiobook of Doomed Dune. In this middle grade adventure, a girl named Melina travels to a forbidden landmark guarded by tyrannical robots, but her life turns upside down when she discovers the true reason it's off limits. Discover Doom Doom Secret by heading over to johntilton.com. That's J-O-N-T-I-L-T-O-N.com. Thanks again, and I hope you enjoy this week's episode. Welcome to Cause of Craft. I'm your host, John Tilton. Why do we create? Where do our ideas come from? What does our craft say about us? These are the ideas we explore here on the show, and this week I'm joined by author Effie Jo Stock. Effie is also a painter, musician, woodburner, and soap maker. We discuss the value in exploring a wide variety of arts, how the subconscious mind can fill in plot holes, and the difference between writing and other artistic endeavors. Welcome, Effie. How are you doing? I'm doing quite well, thank you. How about you? I'm doing great. Um, We were talking a little bit earlier, and it sounds like it's been a busy week for both of us, but uh, it's nice to, you know, take some time away from the chaos and just have a conversation with, uh, with another writer about their craft. Yes, it is. I agree. So I say another writer, but that's kind of selling you short because you're a very multidisciplined artist. Uh, you don't just have the writing uh, with a book that you just launched, but you also have artwork. You did the cover of your own novel, um, as well as this wood-burned art that you do and handcrafted soaps. Beyond that, on your website, you also talk about you, you, your love for music. You play the guitar, violin, piano, and you also mentioned how you express your creativity through dance and uh, through expanding your knowledge uh, with different academic disciplines. I see a lot of talk nowadays about how everyone should be focusing on some sort of specialization, like really honing right, in right. on a very specific thing. And I think part of the reason I decided to do this show, not just on writing, but of a you know wide array of different disciplines is because I think there's just so much to learn from right. various art forms and you know, I understand the value of specialization, but I always pause and think, well, isn't there so much more to the world than just like focusing on one thing? And so I guess oh, absolutely. my question for you is what drove you to have this multidisciplinary approach to your art, uh, especially with kind of so much in today's culture telling us to specialize? Well, it's been an interesting and kind of tough ride. Um, because I have had so many people tell me that I overextend myself or I'm overwhelming myself or um, I should just focus on one thing and do it really well and not worry about other things. But I've always had the belief that when you do that, you limit your own potential and you kind of keep yourself from being the best person you can be. And you limit the way that you see the world. Uh, the world is so much more than just one little specialty. Um, It's a wide uh, variety of people and cultures, and all of that is expressed through art. And being able to touch on so many different art forms and so many different even academic subjects has helped me to see the world from so many different perspectives instead of just my own. And I have had Um, an excellent schooling. I was homeschooled, so we weren't ever too worried about getting um, just the basic, you know, math, grammar, basic science. We really wanted to dive into really how diverse the world is. So we've done all kinds of culture studies, and uh, we expanded science into pretty much every different uh, branch we possibly could, um, just to see what the world is like. Um, and so I've always really enjoyed all of the different uh, wood burning and sketching, uh, even doing maps and writing, because it helps me to see and experience the world in a different way that I don't think you get when you just focus on one thing specifically. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I think that's that's something I agree a lot with. I, you have way more experience exploring that than I do, but yes. it's kind of inspiring <laughs> to hear your background on that with like the homeschooling and how that led you into it. What, so when you're working on these different artistic disciplines, do you feel that there's kind of this connection, like like each of them has something inside of you that comes out in the same way? Or do you find 
they are interacting with each other or they're almost completely separate? I guess, what's the relationship between them all for for you as an individual? Um, I think a lot of them are very similar um, because in the end, art is just me trying to express like my emotions. But I do think that they each have very different aspects. Um, Sketching and doing woodburn art is very, very different than um, like coloring something or painting something. Um, And I think whenever I focus on sketching and wood burning, the lack of color kind of helps me to see things in a very uh, black and white sense that things are either there or they're not. When I paint or I do something with color, it's more of it has more tone, I guess. So it's like, if, do you want it to be warm or do you want it to be cold? And you do a lot of with like the shading and the color in that. Um, and so I think it different emotions come through whenever I do different forms of art. Even uh, my piano playing is usually a lot different than my violin playing um, in the sense that my playing piano for me has always been more of a relaxing sort of soothing instrument to play. But whenever I play violin, usually I'm trying to play as fast as I can or as complicated of a song as I can pull up um, because it is like more of a lively instrument. So even though I'll even play some of the same songs in each instrument, it comes out differently because it's a different expression of emotion. So with piano being relaxing, I actually played piano as well. We currently don't have a piano which I'm always frustrated with because I remember the last place that had one where I was consistently was our college dorm had one like in the basement. And so I would study there. Oh, yeah. And when it kind of got overwhelming or when I was done, you know, studying or researching this particular thing, I would just go over and like noodle on the piano for a little bit, play something that I had remembered in high school. Yeah. And I always found that just to be like you said, like this is a relaxing experience. And especially if it's a piece that I had memorized, right? it was like engaging my brain, but it's not it, like it was a different engagement than studying something new or right. Uh, right. trying to cram for an exam or something like that. So that relaxing aspect, I really definitely relate to that. Do you find yourself coming to the piano in a certain circumstance or is it, or is it more like, you know, you might be relaxing to like, I guess, do you have a routine with it is what I'm getting at? Um, I don't as much. I think as far as like the creative things that I do, they're usually pretty sporadic. Um, and it also depends on, um, how readily available the instrument is. Um, for instance, we don't actually have a piano. We have this, uh, keyboard and it used to be in my room for the longest time. And then my dad, who's a musician, took it back into the guest bedroom so he could set up all of his music recording equipment. So I kind of um, lost my access to playing that keyboard, but I play a lot at um, other people's houses uh, that we know they have pianos. And sometimes if we'll go into a public place and there'll be a piano, like a thrift store, then I'll play it. But I've found that a lot of the times whenever I play piano, it usually comes out of a headspace of being, kind of tired. Um, There have been times where I have played piano before I go to bed and I just play until I'm just absolutely exhausted and then I sleep, kind of like how people read before they go to bed. And sometimes in circumstances where it's like a public place or even a friend's house, I'll play it when I don't really feel like talking to people or I feel kind of socially drained and it really helps me to like recharge while also being able to provide beautiful music for my friends instead of just shutting down. And then after playing for a little bit, I'll usually feel better and hang out with them again. But that's kind of where the piano sits for me. Yeah, that's that's super interesting too. I I like that. Um, So do you think that's, so you mentioned the violin and that's kind of a different approach. Do you think that's in the nature of the instrument or just that's what it became for you personally? I think... In a way, it could be the nature of the instrument. I think instruments uh, do have a lot of different, um, I guess, vibes that they give off. Um, But I also think that it's probably how it's come to mean for me. Um, I self-taught myself the piano and would play it more as a hobby, whereas I took years and years of violin lessons and I used to uh, perform places and um, was really serious about learning it. And I think it kind of... um, is that's why it's like more of an active instrument for me because I'm used to okay, yeah. um, proactively playing it. Okay, cool. 
kind of circling back around again there's so like with just the different aspects of everything you do I'm trying to sort through like how I should approach trying to touch on all of them um and you know we already got wrapped up in some things and and I love it uh because I, I just didn't expect us to talk about music until right before yeah. <laughs> right before we started recording. I went on your website just to like review one more time. And that's where I saw you listed all that. So, yes. um, so yeah, I was like, well, I have to talk about uh, music as yeah. a fellow music lover. And I'll talk about all of these things for hours. So you just cut me off when I start talking too much. <laughs> yeah, all, well, I'm the same way. So, uh, so we might have to work together to make sure okay, it's not okay. like a 50-hour podcast. Yeah. But, but gotcha. either way, yeah. uh, if we're passionate about it, I think someone would get some value out of it as well. So yeah, definitely. Which of these disciplines, if any, kind of came first? Do you have like an earliest memory of you approaching one of these arts and kind of starting to investigate it? Um, I think of all of them, music would probably come first, just because my dad was a musician. He played a lot of music when I was a kid, and he would teach uh, me anything that I wanted to learn, Um, even just like the little, uh, I guess, maracas is what they're called. Um, I remember (laughs) learning those first (laughs) and absolutely loving them. Um, But the first uh, artistic thing that I really got into on my own was writing, Um, I used to love journal time. Whenever I um, went to private school, they would give us journaling prompts and I absolutely loved them. And I wrote my first short story in, I think, the first grade. Um, And from there, it was really, truly the art form that came to me on my own before all others that I really stuck with. And how old were you when you kind of started that music or, or was that so early that it's hard to even define? Um, I think the music was probably around when I was like two or three years old. So pretty young. Yes, that's that's there your whole life. And then yes. first grade is really young, too. But that's I see what you mean by that's something that you're coming to more yeah. on your own, engaging with the assignment in class, of course, but then right. kind of identifying it as something you enjoy. Do, do you remember like what you enjoyed about it? Or do you remember what the short story was? I know it's so long ago. Yeah, well, I, va- I vaguely remember it being having something to do with an alien, a little alien that like went to the moon for the first time. Um, and so it was pretty basic and um, kind of cheesy, but I left it on a cliffhanger. And I just remember my teacher asking me to read it to the class and the class wanting to read the next short story. And I think that's what really stuck with me is the fact that I could write a story and share it with others, and they would want to be a part of it. Wow. So, okay. So in first grade, you already have this kind of marketing sense with the two. Oh, I got to keep everyone (laughs) hanging. Get them to to turn the page. Give me more money. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Which is no surprise that my first book ends in a cliffhanger, I suppose. (laughs) Yeah. I kind of like, I almost didn't ask you this because I thought, well, first grade is so young that, you know, I'm not sure that there's anything there, but some of the other people I've been talking with, I've asked if there's been something that that's kind of a recurring theme or something like that. And I don't know. Yeah. Maybe you have something with the kind of the alien and the story that's that's actually in one of your you know books that you're writing today. But uh, it's it's just funny that there is something with like the kind of the cliffhanger aspect. That's well, that's yes. something that really works in in writing, and then it's something right. that you're <laughs> utilizing today. Yes. Yep. Definitely. But aliens, that's not been a that's not been a subject for you yet. Not a, not as much. I have a uh, sci-fi work in progress that's sort of futuristic, but nothing quite yet on the aliens. Um, some of the fantasy things that I have going in my series, The Shadows of Light, I guess could almost be considered sort of aliens because there is a, a sky realm with the stars and everything, and they're quite alien creatures, but nothing like aliens on Earth. <laughs> and so that series, that's where the... The first book that you have out, Child of the Dragon Prophecy, that's connected to that series, correct? Yes, that is the first book in it. And is this the first book that you've written, period? Or have you written other things and this is the first one you're releasing? I actually started writing a book that was kind of like a book series with a friend when I was around 11, 12 years old. Um, And then she kind of grew tired of it. And from there, I decided that I wanted to write my own book. And that's kind of where the idea for Child of the Dragon Prophecy was born, but back then I wasn't thinking very far ahead and I thought it was just going to be a single standalone book. Um, By the time I got done writing it, I had 
like 800 Microsoft Word pages. And I still thought it was going to be one book, which was <laughs> kind of naive on my part, sitting there with a 800 page book. Um, but that ended up being the first draft of the entire series. So it's kind of like the first thing that I've written, but I've also written the rest of the series at the same time. And so how far after first grade was, was this now? Oh, goodness. That first, um, draft. that first draft, I think I finished in 2015. So 20, no, I began, I started it in 2015, ended it in 2017. So I guess I was 14 years old. So it was, it's quite a ways from first grade. I didn't write for a long time between first grade and um, writing with that friend at uh, 12 years old, just because I didn't really have anything uh, motivating me. I think I read more than I wrote until I met that friend. So you get back into it with the friend. And then what was it about that experience that when that was kind of, I don't know, like, fizzling out is the right way to recap what you're saying, but you know, that was kind of dying out uh-huh. the story with your friend and you start your own. Do you feel like there was something in particular that was it just because you loved it so much or what led you to think, Oh, I should work on my own thing. It was because I loved it so much. I really, really enjoyed um, writing my characters chapters in the story that we had together. Um, but I also think that it was a little bit of feeling like I didn't have enough control I would come up with some ideas, but then they would kind of be overshadowed by the ideas that she would have. And she was older, so I didn't, you know, really want (laughs) to force my ideas into the book or anything. Uh, The plot was mainly come up with by her and the world building and stuff. I pretty much just had my two characters and I wrote what they were doing in the story. So I think um, when she kind of started deciding that she didn't really want to do it as much anymore... I saw it as an opportunity to not only continue doing something that I had grown to really, really enjoy, but also to have the control in it to make the story that I wanted um, and have that control that I was kind of missing when we were writing together. You mentioned you have all these ideas that are, oh, this idea and that idea. Are those just kind of interesting thoughts that are popping into your mind or or have you found that that's something that's that's almost like trying to escape out of you. Um, I think whenever I first started writing this series, I really wanted to read the book that I was writing. So a lot of it came out of the need um, to read that particular kind of book. Um, so I mostly just wrote for myself. Um, and if I wanted there to be shape-shifting demons, I just put shape-shifting demons in. Or if I wanted there to be dragons that spoke you know, telepathically, um, then I just... I had them in the book. Um, I think by the time that I got done writing the entire series, looking back on it now, I don't think I realized it at the time, but looking back on it now, I think it helps me process a lot of sort of anger and frustration with my life at that point. Um, We had just moved out of the city to the country and stopped like basically all of the extracurricular activities that we had been doing, such as my violin lessons, ballet lessons, because they were just it was just too much for us to deal with. and um, But it was still hard to deal with losing all of that and all of the friends that were with it. And uh, we had some friends that stopped being friends with us because we moved out to the country. So I think I did have a lot of anger and loneliness that I wrote into that series. So the very, very first draft of it, a lot of the characters don't have good relationships with each other and are a little bit more angry at each other than they probably should be. So it's kind of funny because my mom and my writing friend give me a hard time for it. But I do think that it really helped me process a lot of those pent up emotions, even if I didn't realize it at the time. You mentioned it's like this in the first draft and it kind of evolves over time. The characters change a little bit. Do you do you think they change along with you or were you identifying ways that an audience could better connect with it? Like what went into those changes? I think the characters changed a lot with me. In a weird way, I've always thought that, like, I didn't relate to my main character at all. But I think I probably wrote more of myself into her than I realized. And so she's changed a lot as I've uh, grown up and changed. And so has her relationship with those around her, especially um, her uh, guardian, Uncle Dalton. Their relationship has grown and changed uh, very much while my relationships personally uh, have grown and changed. So I think... I really did uh, continue to write more for myself than other people. It hasn't been until more recently 
in these last uh, very, very final revisits and uh, revisions that I've done and that I've really wondered how I could make the characters relatable to other people. I don't have a book release yet, but of course I'm planning to. And that's something that on these later drafts that I'm going through on a couple of uh, projects that I have, I'm kind of wrestling with the equation on that. And do you right. find that that it's kind of that you have to let something go and let it become other people's? Or do you find that you gain something that you might not have predicted that you would gain by doing that? I feel like I've gained um, some things that I didn't feel like, like I didn't know that I would gain. Um, I've always been kind of selfish. So I've always thought that if I, you know, wrote with other people in mind, then I would lose, you know, that control over my own work. Um, but I've actually found it to be quite the opposite. Once I started realizing that people are going to read my book and they are going to see themselves in my books, whether they want to or not, um, we all do, I think, when we take in media, I really started realizing, like, what do I want them to get out of this? What do I want to convey to them? And how do I, what do I want them to take away from it? Do I want them to hate this character or do I really want them to like and relate to this character and what what could I put in this character that would maybe teach something to somebody or help them um, through something that they're going with so I think it's actually given a lot of volume and character to my story that otherwise wouldn't have been there had I not thought of it did you find yourself approaching that strategy and needing to change a lot of the plot or were you figuring out ways to work in character changes that fit with what you had like like how did you approach that kind of you know, because if you make a change to a book, right. like you can be rewriting everything, which sometimes yes. happens. Whenever I started building this book, it, I didn't like start building a really pretty little shed and then decided I wanted it to be a two story. It's like I built a frame and then decided that the frame needed more framing. And from there, it needed more framing. So it, it never really hit a point where it was like solidified enough to where if I made changes, um, it would change the entire thing. Um, my first draft, looking back on it now, is um, pretty much like a really, really detailed outline. It's pretty basic um, as far as character development and even the plot. So thankfully, whenever I've had things to change, it hasn't really made too big of a ripple effect where I had to rewrite everything. But that doesn't mean that hasn't been excruciatingly hard. I yeah. in last year's beta um, beta version of the book, um, Stefania and um, her uncle Dalton absolutely hated each other, and you would not believe it reading the book as it is today. Um, but their relationship was wretched. I <laughs> like that's the only word I can uh, use to describe it. Um, when I changed their relationship in this latest draft, which is the published version, um, I found that it actually made the plot better and it actually explained the plot better. Um, so one thing that I've noticed when I have written this series and rewritten it like five or six times, it's been a work in progress. Um, but one thing that I've noticed when I've created it is I'm not necessarily changing things. I'm just discovering new things about the series. Um, so whenever I've considered that like a character's personality doesn't really fit the book or what needs to be happening. I've never really felt like I was in enough control of it to actually say, oh, I'm just going to change their personality and make them happier, or I'm going to give them a tragic back, uh, backstory so it makes their personality um, more valid. I've always just felt like after thinking about it, I discovered that they were supposed to be a happier person, or I discovered that they had a tragic backstory. So instead of anything really changing whenever I've molded characters, it's been more of like I'm discovering the story's true self. Um, mm. So it's never really had any huge effect on the uh, entire story. Um, so much as it's just made it the story that it's supposed to be. Yeah, that's a fascinating way to look at it because I look at it in a very similar fashion. And the other oh, yeah. the other writers that I've talked to so far, a similar thing has come up. And I think that's, I, I don't know how universal it is, but 
but from my experience with talking with other writers, it's, it really seems like people do feel like they're kind of uncovering the story rather, you know, of course we are making up the story, but right. it's almost like the story is somewhere in us. And like the word you said, we need to discover or uncover what it is. Um, right. Yeah. It's just so fascinating to me because it like I'll go through experiences writing and something will just seem really off or someone will point something out. Yeah, that's off. And then I think about it. And then all of a sudden, not only is there a better solution that I kind of discover, but it somehow fits perfectly with something else that almost ne- like, like sometimes there'll be something that it feels unresolved. And then right. the s- yeah. solution to one problem will actually kind of marry with the thing that was unresolved before. So it's almost like everything had a place, but I just didn't find the connection yet. And then all of a sudden exactly. it works. And it's so yes. bizarre because it's, it's like, well, I wasn't trying to set myself up for the solution of the problem I didn't know existed, but I somehow <laughs> did, you know? So it's, exactly. it's just a wacky thing. It is. It is very wacky. And it's so strange to experience sometimes. And um, I know, obviously, that I'm, you know, even though the rest of the series is technically written, I'm still having to reconstruct it and rewrite it to make it better. But sometimes I, I get comfortable thinking that um, I've discovered all there is to discover, or I know my characters now, and um, or I know the plot, and I know why all this happened. And then I'll be writing it, and, I, and I'm and a plotter, so this is always so much more of a shock. Like, I don't, I don't think it is probably as much of a shock to pantsers when they come to something like a, a sentence and they just realize that they're writing something totally different. That may not shock them as much, but it shocks me all the time as a plotter um, mm-hmm. because I didn't plan for it to happen at all. And then I'll just get to the point and realize, oh, wow, actually, that's not what happened. This is actually what happened. Did you see this, anything similar to this phenomenon happening in any of your other disciplines or are they, or is it just kind of like this unique thing to writing and maybe... I mean, you play piano, but I don't know if you've composed anything or things like that. I I would imagine in like a musical composition, I I can see it also being there. Um, You know, we hear different composers talk about hearing the music from someplace else and kind of copying it down. And so, so I know there's probably other disciplines that share this, but I don't know, like, do you find that in your, your art, your painting or drawing? I do um, sometimes like I'll be working on a piece and I'll accidentally do a line wrong and then it gives me an idea it's like oh actually that line is completely fine and then I'll end up finishing the drawing and it's nothing like what I expected it to be but it ends up being actually better or what it should have been to begin with and I'm not I'm no great composer um, but I have dabbled around with some things on the piano and um that does happen occasionally. Um, you'll be playing something, you'll kind of have a, like a sort of a vision of the song that you have in mind and you'll be playing it out and you'll maybe like hit a wrong note, but then you'll realize it's actually not wrong. And it kind of turns into something else, like maybe a bridge or a chorus that's like slightly different than you thought it was going to be, but it sounds like what you were trying to achieve, even though you weren't actually um, planning it that way. So I do think to an extent it has happened to me in my other um, artistic endeavors. Yeah, it's difficult to know, maybe even impossible to know if it's something that, oh, you, you know, your brain is focused on trying to accomplish something to create this thing and you've started it. And then along the way, it's being formed. It's it's difficult for me to know if, okay, this detour happened and then your brain is filling out how to make the detour work with everything else. Or if it's something that, you know, the, the story is buried deep within us somehow and we're accidentally unlocking it. Like, like it's like, I can see either one being completely valid, but they're kind of two yeah. approaches to identifying what might be causing that. I've read some of those funny things on like Pinterest that say, what if authors are actually from the worlds in the books they've written and they're trying to show us their world without yeah. you know, actually telling us about it. And sometimes um, even though I'm an author and I would love to say that I actually did come out of Rasa, it 
doesn't surprise it wouldn't surprise me I guess if one day you know I just woke up with all these memories and I'm actually from Rasa and that's why (laughs) I write about it or something because that's how it feels sometimes and Rasa is the world of your of your book series Um, yes so is there something to that like how do you go about naming the things that aren't you know you're not naming like sheep or dog you're naming like a land something that no one's ever heard of what's kind of your approach to figuring out what name feels right for that um when I first started out writing um I was still quite young and so I didn't really have a system or any particular way of naming things I would just kind of sit there and mule over sounds in my head until I picked one that just felt right um but then after rewriting and needing some better words I actually just decided to get a language and I've kind of tried building my own languages, but that's extremely difficult. Um, And I found this fantasy language generator online and it gives you like 2000 fantasy words and it takes the phonology. I think that's how you say it um, from all the different languages on earth and just scrambles them and can give and it, generates like millions of different languages so i got one of those so it gives you a bunch of um words that they already come up with like cat or ran or something but you have to do a lot of the work yourself so they'll give you the word painter but then they give you they won't give well they give you the word paint um but you have to make the word painter using the rules that they gave you Um, So like Rasa is a direct translation from one of those languages um, that I am using for the Dragon Rider's ancient language, and it just directly translates to um, world or like the mother world. Okay, interesting. Okay. I haven't heard of that tool. Um, It sounds like it's super helpful. I I always just am sitting there forever. I don't have any actual different languages in any of my books, at least not yet. Uh Um, so I'm, I started just almost like at random and some yeah. of them are that I like have stayed, but recently it's been, I've been diving into like etymology and you're right. It's like, yeah. it's like a lot yeah. of work to, um, it is a lot of work. <laughs> so let's shift gears a little bit so we can move on to some of the other, uh, disciplines that you work on. Um, we can either, <laughs> so you also, you do live on a farm. We should keep all yes. these awesome <laughs> background noises in. So is that, yes. those are the roosters or? Yes, those are the roosters. <laughs> yep, just, and I have um, a couple just outside my window. <laughs> so now is this like feeding time or is this just like? Um, um, it's actually um, around egg laying time. So funnily okay. enough, the roosters will run around uh, crumbing a lot at this time because all of the hens are running around laying eggs and squawking. So it's pretty noisy <laughs> around this time. To me, it naturally feels like the next thing we should talk about is the art part of it because you've done your own cover to your book. So was the art something that came out of, oh, I'm going to need a cover. I want to be able to do the cover. Or is this something that you've been doing for years and you were like, oh, great. Well, I I don't have to hire someone to do that. I can do exactly what I want on my own. How did this all get started? Kind of got started with me having this really weirdly specific idea of the cover that I wanted um, when The Shadows of Light was just one book. And I always just kind of held that image in my mind and really wanted to achieve that. And um, I didn't think too much about it because I wasn't ready for a publication until recently, like two years ago, I really started uh, seriously learning about publication. Um, But I always kind of had the image in my head and I was never really able to find any artists that I felt would bring it to life like I wanted it to. And they were like super expensive and I'm I'm not the wealthiest person on this planet. (laughs) But my cover journey has been a long and difficult journey ranging from trying to take live pictures, like um, having my friend take uh, pictures of me dressed up as Stefania that I could Photoshop to kind of make it look like a cover, which didn't work. (laughs) And then doing some Photoshopping things with like uh, maybe doing uh, an old manuscript sort of that would have been the prophecy and having that as the cover and that didn't work either. And then finally, I just kind of got tired of trying to 
make my own. And I found an artist in Fort Smith who had a beautiful art style. And I finally felt like I had found somebody who could really bring my idea to life. And I worked with him for probably like six months trying to get something made. And then finally he got the initial sketch done, um, which was just absolutely gorgeous. But then he decided that he didn't want to finish it. Um, so I was left with a sketch and still no book cover. And um, after that, I decided that it couldn't possibly hurt to do it on my own because I've just always had the opinion that with the technological age, especially with YouTube, you can learn anything. So I just got Photoshop and I started messing around with it. And I ended up making a pretty decent book cover using images and just Photoshopping of different images to kind of represent some of the symbols in the book. Um, and I actually had the front spine and back cover for that book designed and ready to go. And then my editor took a look at it and she said that she didn't feel like it uh, aligned properly with the story. <laughs> and um, she had caught a glimpse of that sketch of that initial idea that the artist had done and said that she felt like if there would be any way possible I could get that idea as the cover, then she thought it would fit much, much better. And I think I was a little bit disappointed to hear her say that because I already spent so much time on the other cover, but in a way I was really relieved because that was the idea that I had always had for the cover. And so I went back and I watched a bunch of painting, like Photoshop painting videos on YouTube and decided I was going to try to do my own. And I ended up with the cover that I have today. And I am so, so glad that she told me to try to do it because I think it really does capture um, the book's uh, fantastical feeling while also still being kind of mysterious. Um, but it was many, many hours spent on Photoshop and uh, watching YouTube tutorials. Wow. So, so, so your background in art is more recent specifically because of the cover then? Yeah, for painting on Photoshop, definitely. I've never done, I'm like, I've done some sketching um, on my computer for probably like a year or two now. Um, but most of like the paintings and stuff I've done has been physical. So that was like definitely the first digital painting and construction, art construction that I've ever done. So some of the, this wood burning and the soap crafting that you do, you've tied those in with your books as well. Did those come out of wanting to build out the world of your books or were you doing those two things before, before you were thinking about launching a book? Um, I was actually doing those things before um, I wanted to launch my book. Um, I wood burning and soap making has been something like I've been wood burning for probably like five years or something and soap making I've been doing for like two years. And it's always been something that I've just like wanted to do because it entails having goats. Cause I do the goat milk soap and I absolutely love having goats. Um, and so I started making soap and I really, really liked, um, the goat soap. And I had seen some people like with, getting bookstagram I started it was like the first time that I'd ever seen people making book merchandise and I just thought that was the absolute coolest thing ever um, and I saw some people do soap and I thought well I could do that and there is no book series or fandom that I am more invested in than my own and so I decided I could I could make my own merch for it and I think it's kind of helped me like reignite interest in some of these extra hobbies of mine because I do spend so much time writing because it is my main um, artistic goal and hobby. So I think it's been really uh, inspirational to be able to tie it all together and see each um, of my artistic endeavors kind of help each other. Yeah, that's cool. So so you mentioned the goat milk. So I'm assuming that's coming from the farm, like you mentioned, because yes. you have the goats. What else all goes into make like Like I know people can make soap. I know that you make soap, but I don't know like how do you even beginning like is that the is the first step getting the milk from the goats or are you doing something else first what's the process um yeah the first process is getting the goats and getting the milk from them and then you don't usually get enough milk in one day uh to make a whole batch of soap and it's better if you make the soap while the milk is frozen so i just freeze them in like little ice cubes for a while and they'll keep until you can make like a big batch of soap and then um you use lye which you can just get from like a local hardware store. And it's basically just the same stuff that people use for like drain cleaner. But as long as you get hundred percent lie, it works. And then you, there's like a certain process that you have to do. Cause if you do it 
uh, wrong, the lie will burn you and it's not fun at all. <laughs> and so it is a little scary sometimes. Um, but then you add like oils. So you can do olive oil or coconut oil or any other kind of oil that you want. And you mix it all together. And then from there is the fun part of choosing um, the scents and uh, colors that you want. And I've always liked using essential oils because I think it's the healthiest and it has the most, um, I think it comes out really well in the soap, the aroma does. And then the wood burning. So that was even earlier you start doing that. What led you to first start the wood burning? My mom actually bought a really cheap wood burner for my dad for Christmas because he used to wood burn as a kid. And I thought that was pretty cool. So I stole it from him. <laughs> and um, so from there, I just kind of taught myself. I got a little how-to wood burn book. And I just wood burned uh, fun little things like little wood magnets and um, little pieces of wood that I found lying around. And then um, we used uh, wood burning as an extracurricular uh, class in our homeschooling. So I really got to um, sort of expound upon my knowledge in that. And then from there, I made a bunch of extra merch and um, actually had like a booth at a farmer's market and like an artistic market um, and sold some stuff for a little while. And then just last year, I decided that I would try to have an online store. So it's just kind of slowly built over time. And I've learned that I can do a bunch of different things with it. Like I really like uh, burning on kitchen spins and stuff. So it's just kind of been a fun hobby that I like to try to make money off of sometimes. The only experience I have with any of that is I've used machines before that like laser etch into wood. Oh, and yeah. looking at your art, I know it's not something like that, but you mentioned this tool. Is it like your, is it almost like your handwriting, but it's burnt? Is it like a pencil that's burning into the wood? Like, how does that actually work? Yeah. So you have a, like a box that kind of is the, I guess it's where all the electrical components are. And from there you can adjust the heat. And then you just have like a cord running to this. It's basically like a big fat pen. And um, then you can screw in different metal uh, tips into it. And the different metal tips will be like flat or rounded or um, sharp. And that's what heats up. And you can control the temperature so you can burn darker or lighter. Um, and then from then, it's basically just like you're drawing with a Sharpie, except it's burning the wood. So you mentioned the soap and the wood burning. And so that's very like, it feels like that's very tactile. Like you're putting the soap together. You're using this tool to etch directly onto the wood uh, or to burn onto the wood. Uh, do you feel there's like a difference in the creative process between you working with your hands on these things versus, you know, typing your book on a computer, assuming that you're typing it and not like handwriting everything or yeah, yeah, I definitely type. Um, I think there's an there's a huge difference. Um, there's something different about writing that uses so much more of your emotional and mental and spiritual capacity when you're writing um, than you do when you're just fashioning something with your hands. Um, so even though like doing other artistic things is still like an expression, I feel of my emotion it's not so much of like having to experience that emotion deeply. I feel like it's probably more of a release. Like when you get to work something with your hands, it's kind of like stuff is coming out of you more um, and you're putting it like into the work and you can kind of having to do something physically kind of keeps your mind um, working at a more steady pace, I think. And um, it's, a, in a weird way, it's a little bit more satisfying because you do have something you can look at physically that you said, like, I made that. When writing, I feel like it's so much more internal because instead of just expressing emotion, you have to really feel that emotion first because you're not just, you know, drawing a picture of a pretty flower because you really like flowers or you feel happy. You're having to describe what a character is feeling as they look at the flower and why it makes them feel that way. So I definitely do think that there is a much, there's a huge difference between fashioning something with your hands, like making something or making art than it is writing. I do think that writing is very much in and of itself, sort of separate art, 
um, from the others, just because it takes so much to make it from you personally. Some of what you're describing reminds me at the, the beginning of our conversation when you were talking about playing the piano, where it's yeah. almost like a more relaxing experience. And then you mentioned you get something out of it right away, like you do it and then you have the soap or you have the drawing on the piece of paper or you have the etch in the wood versus the book. You know, first of all, it takes so long to get it where the copy of the book is in your hands. You know, even like printing out a draft, like there's something satisfying about that, but it's not that completed work yet. And then even so, when you're, you know, when you're holding the book in your hand, it's almost that would be like a representation of the journey that you've had with it. But it's like the the experience is the experience of reading it. So it's not until like you're actively reading it. So so I see what you're saying. It's such a the book just conceptually is such a different animal. It is. It really is. When it comes time to understand like or when it comes time to just experience the satisfaction of, of completing it. Right. And so even though it's scary to sometimes go back and and read, like even now that child of the dragon prophecy is published, sometimes I don't want to open it up because I'll find typos that I missed or something, but (laughs) it is a different sort of uh, reward when you do get to sit down and just read it. And actually, instead of having to pour yourself into it you actually get something out of it because you actually get to experience it yourself so have you read it after release like obviously you've been reading it a ton of times leading up to release and then it's out like have you read it from the actual like printed out book um i i kind of did like a speed read through it um right after i had it printed like for the very first time in its proof form even just speed reading it, like I'm putting off the full in-depth reading until I've kind of distanced myself from it a little bit and can really see it for what it is. But even just the speed reading it gave me an appreciation for it that I really didn't feel um, before. Like I can actually see it. It is a book. It is a real story now. Um, And it kind of helped me to not see it as just something I made and, oh, it's not that good or it's not a real book, um, or I'm always comparing it to someone else's, I was actually, I felt like I could really, for the first time, see it for what it is, that it is a book, it is a story, and these characters, even if, you know, they're not always written perfectly well, um, no book is perfect, and it is beautiful the way it is, and I just got a deeper appreciation for it, and I just really enjoyed that. That's awesome, and so, so obviously, this is like a this is like an experience that you sign up for. Like, like, you know, it's one thing to like write a book, but that's hard enough. Yes. (laughs) And then there's the added difficulty of making it a professional release that other people can purchase as a product. When did you first know that, okay, this writing hobby I have, like I want this to be something that someone else can purchase and read uh, versus something that you do just to do it? Um, I always had that dream, actually. When I first when I first started writing with um, that friend, it was more for fun. Um, but when I started writing on this series on my own, I think from the beginning, I always felt like uh, I wanted. I knew I wanted to be published, and I knew that if I wanted to read this book, then somebody else would want to read it too. And so from the beginning, even if it wasn't always my main goal, I've always really wanted it to be published. And then it's just kind of grown throughout the years. And then I think after having my first beta readers last year and really seeing um, the potential of the story itself and then joining Bookstagram and seeing all of these other uh, writers and really being encouraged by them actually stepping out into their dream and publishing their books, I really realized that it is possible to be published. It is possible for this to be a marketable product that I can actually put in people's hands um, and actually see if I type it into the web browser, it'll come up. And I think I was really um, inspired by that and just seeing that it is possible and other people have done it and I can too. So I think that was probably really the, uh, what gripped me into realizing that I can achieve this dream. And so congratulations on achieving the dream. And now it's Thank a you. book that people can actually buy. So I saw you can get the book on your website, effiejoestock.com. Yes. Um, where else is it available? And, and is there anything else? Is, 
you want to say about it? Like, um, Child of the Dragon Prophecy is available on my website to those who live in the United States and Canada. Um, but if you don't, or if you would want the ebook uh, version of Child of the Dragon Prophecy, you can get it on major retailers such as Barnes and Noble, Bookshop by Book Baby, Amazon, Books a Million, and um, other big retailers like that. And you have a wonderful Instagram account as well. Or actually, you have several kind of different ones for different uh, disciplines that you're involved with. Uh, did you want to yes. promote those as well? Um, on Effie Joe Stock Author at Instagram, um, you can follow me for updates on my writing, including Child of the Dragon Prophecy, the second book in that series, Heir of Two Kingdoms, along with some other works in progress that I'm hoping to have published in the spring of 2022. And in the fall of 2022, um, I also post about the books I'm reading and recommend while also promoting other authors and small businesses. And then I have another Instagram account, which is EJ Stock Arts, um, which is where I promote some of the artwork that I do, like sketches and digital paintings. Um, sometimes I'm open for commissions and I make fantasy maps for people. Do check that out if you'd be interested in that. And then lastly, I have Crafted in Smoke on Instagram, which is where I promote my wood-burned art, along with my goat milk soap and some other miscellaneous crafted items that I make. Well, good. And we'll have specific links to all those in the show notes so people can easily click through. Awesome. Thank you so much, Effie, for coming on the show. I really enjoyed our discussion. Um, uh, congratulations again on the book, uh, as well as all of these um, all these different areas that you're involved with. I think that's so inspiring that, you know, you're kind of living the artistic life to the fullest, like exploring each, uh, each avenue. I think that's super cool. Yeah. Thank you so much. I was really excited to do this today and I feel very honored to be on this podcast and I hope it helps inspire other people who want to live this dream as well. Thanks for listening to this episode of Cause of Craft. You can find links to Effie's website, book, and Instagram accounts in the show notes. Hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode, and follow Cause of Craft on Instagram for the latest news and updates. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Those reviews help more people discover the show. And if you have feedback, suggestions, or guest recommendations, send an email to john at causeofcraft.com. That's J-O-N at causeofcraft.com. Thanks for listening and see you next week.